0: Hey, welcome to David, part 52. We're going to look at something that happened to David that we all go through. We all lose loved ones, and but there's something else that David did that we often do too, and it's the thing called self-hurt. I'm going to talk more about that in just a little bit. Hey, it's good to have you on our podcast today on the life of David. We're getting ready to wrap this up, and we're not far from that. But we're towards the end of David's life, where he's only got about eight years left, and uh, he dies at the age of seventy. And uh, he's about sixty-one or sixty-two years old, and uh, getting to be an old man. So you got to kind of get out of your mind that he's this thirteen-year-old boy who just slayed the giant. But uh, all the all the exciting battles that David fought, and the uh, and you know the killing the giants, and of course the sin with Bathsheba, and all the things that David did. Uh, I tell you, he lived a uh, he lived a tough life. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, you know, you imagine just running for your life for nearly 20 years in the wilderness and not having any comforts there. That that had to make David grow up quite a bit. So we're going to look at uh, in. In 2 Samuel chapter 19, we're going to look at just a few verses. 2 Samuel chapter 19, beginning in verse 1, it says, Then it was reported to Joab, Behold, the king is weeping and mourns for his son Absalom. Now, if you go back to chapter 18, uh, David's commander, Joab, actually killed Absalom, stabbed him in the stomach. Uh, His head got caught in the tree. Often people say it was his hair, but the Bible doesn't say that. It says his head. And so he, no matter what, he's hanging in the tree and Joab walks up and he stabs him. And then his men, Joab's men, finish him off. Well, the word comes back to David that Joab, I mean, Absalom is dead. His son is dead. And the Bible says that David begins to cry out, oh, Absalom, Absalom, my son, Absalom. You know, and this is okay. I mean, there's nothing wrong with mourning and weeping. But here's the thing. Absalom had been trying to kill David. He had ran out. Uh, ran David and his and his family and uh, all of his Absalom's cousins and and the people ran them out of Jerusalem and was taking over the kingdom there and so David's mourning over somebody that was trying to kill him and so there's no secret that David wasn't a very good parent I mean he did not um, parent his children where, well when Amnon raped his sister Tam, uh, uh, Tamar he, he didn't uh, he didn't parent well. I mean, he didn't discipline his kids, and there's there's so much I could say about that. But so, all of a sudden, it's reported that Absalom is dead, and David begins to cry. I mean, literally screaming. Now, you got to remember something. All these people that were fighting this battle for David are hearing him screaming for the man that was trying to kill him. And so, the word gets back to, to Joab, the one who had killed Absalom, and it says it was reported to reported back to uh, Joab that the king is weeping and mourning. Now, why was it that he was mourning so hard over somebody that was trying to kill him? Was it because of his son? Mm, Maybe a little, but honestly, I think David was mourning because David knew that a lot of this, if not all of it, was kind of his fault and what he didn't do and take care of matters when he should have. I used a terminology called self-hurt. Self-hurt is when we live in a guilty state and we like to remain there. Uh, people do it all the time when they sin and, and God forgives them. They They continue to go back to God over and over and over again. And they don't ever get up. They don't ever move on. And so they, they stay in this constant state of self-hurt or when somebody does something to them and they choose not to forgive because it's easier just to remain in this state of somebody has wronged me. You know, somebody said this about me and just remain there. It, it's just self-hurt. It's selfishness is, is all it is. And uh, we like to stay in that woe is me mentality. And so he, this is where David's at. And so the Bible says in verse 2, the victory that day turned into mourning because all the people heard what was going on. So all these people are coming in, cheering, laughing, giving high fives, and they're like, this is awesome. We now can come back home. By the way, all these people were run out of their house that were fighting for David. And the Bible says the victory was turned into mourning. It's not fair. All these people that were serving David and were giving their lives for David, now all these people that put their lives in, uh, in jeopardy, the man who is trying to take their lives, the king is crying for him. And so all of a sudden they're like, oh, what am I supposed to do? Well, they're going to honor David because he is the king. Verse 3, and it says, And the people entered into the city in ashamed that day because they are humiliated. As ashamed when they flee the battle, the Bible says they're ashamed. What does that mean? It says they they try to avoid being noticed. Can't you see them tiptoeing around? You've ever been in a situation where you walked in and and maybe you said, Hey, hey, how's everybody doing? And immediately you know there was tension in the air. Maybe you saw people crying, and then you just kind of you just kind of you know sunk your head in and kind of moved over to the corner, and you didn't want anybody to notice you. And this is what happened. All these people are coming back hoping for a victory uh, celebration and they come back ashamed because the king is crying. Then it says in verse four, and the king covered his face and he cried with a loud voice, my Absalom, my son, Absalom, Absalom, my son. And so he is so self-consumed with himself and he's so self-consumed with David's feelings that he didn't care anything about what the people had just done for him. You know, I thought about this. Why didn't, he, why didn't he ever hear him cry, Oh, Uriah, oh, Uriah, if I had just died for thee. Why didn't he ever say that? You know, he was the one that had Uriah killed, but he wasn't mourning for Uriah, but he was mourning for the man who was trying to kill him. Go to verse 5. Joab is mad. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, right? At this point, Joab is furious. And he busts into the king's house. By the way, he walks into the king's house like this and getting ready to tell the king, What's up? And so he said, Today you have shamed all your servants and you have saved your life today and the lives of your sons and daughters and the lives of your wives and the lives of your concubines. So here comes Joab. He's, and, and by the way, I believe this is an evidence of a true friend. If you want to know what a true friend is, they're not afraid to stand up and say something to your face, they're not afraid to tell you when you're wrong. And so he says, You have shamed all of us. By the way that you're acting, he says, you need to get up and you need to thank every one of these people that had given their lives for you. You know, we have people all around us all the time that have done things for us. And and oftentimes we treat them to worst. You know, you think about some of the people in your home, you know, the people that that do the most for you. Think kids, think about what your parents have done for you. And you often treat them to worst. And so here, Joab, I mean, uh, David is treating the people that gave the most for him. He's treating them to worst. And he says, look, these people gave their life for your family. They gave their life for you, and you are shaming them. Verse 6, by loving those who hate you and hating those who love you, for you have revealed today that the commanders and servants are nothing to you. For I know today if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead today, then it would be been right as far as you were concerned. He says some really, really hard words there. He says, you love those who hate you. And this is common, you know. I've learned a very valuable lesson that I think I learned probably yearly is you can't catch people that don't want to be caught. You can chase them and chase them and chase them, but you can't catch people that don't want to be caught. Oftentimes in ministry, uh, you know, we we use the verse. Well, we leave the ninety nine, you know, to go get the one. So, Chris, you need to go do whatever it takes to go chase that one. Well, here's the thing is that that one is not a continuous running away and running away and running away and running away because what you do, you forsake the 99 who need that discipleship, who need a pastor who need a shepherd. And so if we spend all of our time chasing those people who don't want to be caught, then we're going to miss the people who are ready to be fed and and the holy spirit is already dealing with their hearts and they're ready to respond if that person is running away obviously there could be running from the holy spirit but they don't want nothing to do with the word and he says you are loving those who hate you and so you know basically he says stop chasing those who don't want to be caught he said you chased absalom and he didn't want to be caught He says, it's time to start paying attention to the people who are giving their lives for you. And and then he says, if all of us were dead, then it would have been better in your eyes. If you could have saved Absalom and all of us would have been dead. He says some hard words. Verse 7. Now, therefore, arise and go out and speak kindly to your servants, for I swear by the Lord, if you do not go out, no man will stay the night with you, and this will be worse for you than all the misfortune that's happened from you from your youth until now. Now, he just puts all David's life in perspective. He says, get up. Get up. You know, I've had to tell myself to get up. I've, is there times where I've been in mourning? There's times where I've been in self-hurt? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, I have to say his mercies are renewed day by day. You better get up, get up out of the bed, get up out of your pity party. And Joab says, David, you better get up. He said, because here's the result. Nobody is going to stay with you if you are mourning the man that's trying to kill us. And then he says, if they walk away from you, everything that you've gone through in the past will seem minute compared to all these people walking walking away from you. He said, you better get up. Now, he says some tough words, not mean, but hard. Verse eight. So what did the king do? He got up. And the Bible says he sat at the gate. And when they told the people saying, behold, the king is sitting at the gate, then all the people came before the king and Israel fled each to his tent. So the king gets up. And this is the very first response to overcoming your grief, overcoming your self-hurt. I'm not saying that we shouldn't grieve. I'm not saying that at all. There's a process. But David wasn't grieving. I don't believe necessarily Absalom. He was grieving his self, his self-hurt and his bad parenting. And it was guilt. And so what he did, he got up and he, and he went and sat before the gate. So what the king would do, he would get up and he would go sit by the gate when he had an announcement to make. He did this when the armies left. And the Bible says that the people came before the king. They're ready to hear this. You can imagine what some of these people felt like. You can imagine how they felt betrayed. I imagine some of them were very angry. I imagine for some of them, it was difficult to stand there in front of David after the the show he just put on. And so there were a group of people of Israel. See, this is Judah, Judah and Israel. Israel fled back to their tent. And we will see later on in this passage, why they did that. So let's go on to verse uh, 9. And all the people um, were quarreling throughout the tribes of Israel, saying, The king rescued us from the hands of our enemies and saved us from the hands of the Philistines. Now he has fled out from the land of Absalom. And so now in verse verse 9, we see that there's this conversation going on. What is it? The people are arguing. Judah and Israel are arguing back and forth. And so it brought great confusion because Israel had followed this false king, this wannabe king that God had never established. His name was Absalom. And he said, and so they start arguing back and forth. And he says, look, you forget David rescued us from the Philistines. David has saved um, us many times. And you followed somebody. That's not even king. You followed somebody that's dead. Verse ten. However, Absalom, who we anointed over us, has died. Now then, why are you silent about bringing the king back? Because see, there was a group of them who did not want David to come back, or they were they did not want David the way that he was. And so you know they make that state that statement known. He says, "Look, your false king is dead. You need to you need to step up and stop being silent about this. It's this internal battle going on." Should David still be king? Because his actions had proven that maybe he shouldn't. Maybe he isn't the leader that we need. Verse 11. Then the king sent, the king David sent word to Zadok and Abathar the priest, speak to the elders of Judah, saying, Why are you the last? Bring the king back to the house, since the word of all Israel has come. So David is sending word through two priests. And this is this is pretty neat. David didn't rush back to Jerusalem and say, Okay, I'm king, and all of you have to listen to me. A good leader needs to be chosen. He doesn't need to appoint himself. He doesn't need to show his domineering spirit over the people because that's nothing but a socialistic, communistic, dictatorship point of view. And David is sending this. He's simply asking the question, why are you waiting? Why are you waiting to bring me back to Jerusalem, to set me back on my throne? And remember, there's this great quarrel going on. Some people just don't trust him. Some people find it difficult to choose him. Verse 12, he starts pleading about family. He said, you are my brothers and you're a, a bone of my flesh. Why are you last to bring the king back? remember, many of these people were uncles and cousins and nephews and nieces, and they were family. He says, why are you waiting so long to bring me back to my throne? In verse 13, and so David looks over and he says, I want you to tell this man Amasa, you are not my bone of my flesh. May God do so to me and more. If you will not be commander of the army continually for joab see amasa is bone of my bone amasa was david's nephew and he says this is what i'm going to do he says joab you're no longer in charge of my army amasa is now i don't really know why specifically joab just got kicked out of being a commander but i got a pretty good idea number one Joab killed Absalom. And I think David's holding this over his head. Secondly, the way he spoke to David at the beginning of this passage. But more than all of that, David knew that Amasa was Absalom's commander. And he says, if I can get Amasa on my side, then the rest of the people of Israel would follow him. And they would see, like, you know what? This must be a pretty good old guy. It's kind of like you see presidents endorsing a governor or a senator or a congressman. Simply, it was like an endorsement. If Amasa would go over to David's side, then Amasa would be endorsing David. And people says, well, I don't necessarily trust David, but I trust Amasa. And because I trust Amasa, then, okay, we'll go back and we'll let David be on the throne. Verse 14, so he turned the hearts of all the men of Judah as one man so that they sent word to the king, return you and all your servants. The Bible said, so he turned. Who's he? It was God. If you ever question who turns the heart of people, it is God himself. God is the one who turns our heart. You do not do it. You do not save anybody. I even don't necessarily care for the terminology. I led this person to Christ because the truth is, it was the Holy Spirit doing the calling. It was the Holy Spirit doing the leading. The Holy Spirit is doing the convicting. You know, they're doing everything. All we do is open our mouth and share what God's word is. I know that we don't have a good terminology for this, but God is the one who turns the heart of men. And if you want somebody's heart to be turned, you can do all the counseling you want. You can do all the the, the prayer for that person you want, and all those things are good. But you pray that God would turn their hearts. And so, he, and so what happened was the Bible said that all these people's hearts was returned to the Lord and returned to favor in David. Verse 15, the king then returned and came as far as the Jordan and the men of Judah came to Gilgal in order to go and meet the king to escort the king across Jordan. So here comes David back down from the north. He's getting ready to cross over Jordan and this has been a long journey and he's almost in jerusalem and he's at the edge of the water and what happened was those people that would stayed in jerusalem and those who had fought against him they all ran to the jordan river it's kind of a picture of god drawing us to him if you can picture all these people running to david what are they doing they're showing their acceptance they're showing their Excitement about him being king. You know, we did that when God draw was drawing us nigh. He says, "If you draw nigh to me, I will draw nigh to you." When we ran to God, you know, this is this is the picture here of a group of people that were in Jerusalem, and here comes David, and they're running to their king. Verse sixteen. Then Shimei, the son of Gerah, the Benjaminite. Hurried down and came to the men of Judah to meet the king David. Oh, Shimei, if you remember this man, Shimei was the man who was cursing David, throwing rocks at David, throwing dirt at David in 2 Samuel sixteen. I got a feeling that when the first time that he was throwing rocks at the king, when the king was leaving, I I, I mean the things that he was saying, he was cursing him. Either he was extremely angry or he was drunk. I'm not sure, but he was angry no matter what. Well, all of a sudden, David wins. Absalom loses, and here comes Shimei. His tail is literally tucked between his legs, and he's thinking, oh, no, I'm getting ready to lose my life. My family is getting ready to lose their life because of the way I I treated David. And the Bible says in verse 17, there were a thousand men of Benjamin with him, And Ziba the servant of the house of Saul 15 sons and 20 servants with him and they rushed to the Jordan before the king a thousand men came down to meet David this is how many men's hearts and more had been turned they rushed before the king the the respect had been changed God did this verse 18 they crossed the shallow places repeatedly to bring over the king's household to do what is good in his sight. But Shimei fell down before the king and was about to cross over Jordan. So here, all these men are running and getting supplies and food. They're carrying the children across. They're carrying the wives across. What can we do for you, David? And they're serving David. But this man Shimei made a beeline right for David, and he falls down at the edge of the Jordan River. He's soaking wet. He collapses in front of him just as the king is getting ready to cross. And this is what he says. May my Lord not consider me guilty, nor call to mind what your servant did wrong on the day when my Lord went out from Jerusalem so that the king would not take it to heart. This wasn't, hey, I was just kidding. I was just kidding. That's not what he said. We often say those things, like when we see that we've sinned against somebody we've hurt somebody. Oh, I was just kidding. You need to stop being so sensitive. This is not what he did. He got on his hands and knees and he said, I was wrong. And I'm asking you, I'm guilty. I need you to release me. He said, may the Lord not consider me guilty. He said, I need to be released for what I've done. Do not call it to mind. There's a big difference in the forgiveness of God and the forgiveness of man. God says he no longer is remembered. He has that power. He no longer brings it up again. It's, it's gone. He cannot bring it up. It's gone. Our past sins are gone. Present, future, it's gone. It's under the blood. It's no longer there. For humans, it's not that we, we can't forget. If a drunk driver kills one of our kids, we don't just forget it where when we forgive them we're choosing no longer to continue to bring it up over and over again some of you out there are simply archaeologists and you keep digging up the past and digging up the past and you can't be around some people because you just keep digging up the past even though they've asked you to forgive asked to be released guess what they're free as soon as they asked you their part's done and it's up to you to release them. So Shimei, as soon as he asked, he was done. He had done all he could do. Verse 20, so he continues on, for your servant knows that I have what? Sinned. So behold, I have come today, the first of all the house of Joseph, to go down to meet my Lord. He says, I have sinned against you. He didn't say, I'm just kidding. You know, David, don't take it to heart. I was just joking. He used the terminology that you and I should use more often. I have sinned against you, and I have sinned. And he says, and I have come first to make this confession. He was running to David. I can see Shimei running in front of all these thousand men, and he was the first one there as he falls down before David. But Abishai, the son of Zeruah, responded, Should not Shimei be put to death for this? Because he cursed the Lord's anointed? Now, Abishai, if you are keeping up with this storyline, Abishai is David's absolute right-hand man. He does not play. He is a man's man. In fact, when Saul was chasing David many, many moons ago, There were 3,000 men with Saul and they all fell into a deep sleep. And Saul was in the middle of these 3,000 men. And David was trying to prove a point to Saul that, look, Saul, I can kill you at any time, but I don't want that. And he says, and so what he was going to do is go down and take a jug of water from Saul and walk out. Now you think out of 3,000 men, somebody's going to wake up somebody's going to see him. So what David does, he says, do I have any volunteers to go in the midst of 3,000 warriors that are out to kill us? Do I have any volunteers? Everybody raise your hand. Not everybody at once now. One man raises his hand and it's Abishai. So he is David's right hand man. So he said, hey, when this guy was cussing you, do you remember that? He, I wanted to take off his head then. In fact, if you go back and read in 2 Samuel 16, 9, he asked, I'm going to, I'm going to kill you, Shimei. And David stops him. And now he asked him again. He said, David, we should still kill this man for the way that he treated you. And David said, what is there between you and me, you son of Zerua, that you should, you should be an adversary to me today? Should anyone be put to death in Israel today for, I, for do I not know that I'm king? He said, look, we're having the same conversation that we had when he was throwing rocks at me. He said, I know that I am king. He said, I know that this is my responsibility. You are not the king and I am. So what was he saying? Abishai, get back in your lane. Get back in your lane. You know, we thought that was just a a new statement that people use. But this is a very old statement, right? Get back in your lane, Abishai. David had to do that. And you know what? It's Abishai meant it well. He meant the fact that he was just trying to protect his king. And he said this. Should anybody be put to death today? I think David was tired. I think David was tired of the bloodshed and he was ready for some peace. And we finish up in verse 23. So the king said to Shimei, "You shall not die." And the king also swore to him. He said, "You will not die. You're not going to die by my hand." Now here's where it gets complicated. Let's let's fast forward about nine years to David's deathbed in 1 Kings chapter 2, 8 and 9. He's giving final instructions to his son Solomon that's going to take over the throne. And he brings up this man Shimei. And he said, Solomon, he said, there was this man Shimei when I was leaving Jerusalem and he was throwing rocks at me and he was cussing me and throwing dirt at me. He came back to me and he asked me to forgive him. He asked me not to hold it over me. And he said, and I swore to him by the Lord, that I will not put you to death by the sword. And David honored that. But this is what he tells Solomon. But now, do not leave him unpunished. But now, do not leave him unpunished. So here's the crazy thing about David. Yeah, he kept digging it up. He never had forgotten what Shimei did to him. He never forgot it. And nine years later, he doesn't technically pick up the sword and want to kill Shimei, but he pulls his son over to the side and he says, hey, this is the way this guy treated me and I know that you will do what's right and I know that you will avenge what he did to me. I know you will get back at him. Do not leave him unpunished because you are wise, Solomon, and you will know what to do. And then he says, and you will bring his gray hair down to Sheol with blood. It means the grave. He said, You take care of Shimei for the way that he treated me. There's a lot that's happened in the storyline right now. And I just want to tell you that you're going to see sides of David and you're going to think, Wow, I never knew that David acted this way or treated people this way. And the truth is, is that we often see us in this. If you're honest, You're going to see your life, if it was unfolded in the same way, you're going to see where you messed up or you chose not to forgive or uh, you you showed anger. But I want to say that we in our hearts and our bodies, you understand that there is nothing good inside of us. Nothing. If there is any good, the Bible says it only comes from the Lord. We Our best is like filthy rags. I'm looking forward to finishing up this chapter uh, later on this week. God bless you. We hope you have a great day.